Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes of veteran mental health. I'm your host, Dwayne France. Let's get ready to make sure that your headspace and timing set correctly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Headspace and Timing. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for checking us out. As many of you who serve know, the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal, is one of the greatest weapons in the military's arsenal. The weapon's headspace and timing isn't set right, however, it's just a huge chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing is not set correctly either. That's my mission here, to raise awareness about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week we'll talk about different aspects of veteran mental health and interview mental health professionals that are working with veterans, service members, and their families around the country. Hey, folks, uh, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Really appreciate you uh, coming out and, and checking us out. Uh, I got a, a great show for you today, a pretty interesting uh, story here. Uh, I've got Doc Todd on, and uh, some of you might have uh, seen some of the, the press that he's been receiving lately, but uh, uh, you know that we usually have people on here, mental health professionals, talking about uh, veteran mental health and, and sort of how veterans can can access this. And Doc's going to be talking a little bit about something different uh, from a, a practitioner and of uh, of medicine, of combat medicine, really, and and how to get the word out. So. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability so, uh, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess I'd like to start out to hear a little bit about uh, your story, your military background, and, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, so I was uh, I was a Navy corpsman, uh, a.k.a. Doc. I was attached to 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, Echo Company out of Camp Lejeune. Uh, spent the majority of my career with them. I did do some... Uh, time with some Navy Special Warfare uh, attachments um, and deployed in Afghanistan in 2009 as part of Operation Kunjari, which was this past June for Strike of the Sword. But really, we were the uh, initial uh, invasion, as you will, from a from a battalion or 
you know, MEB level, like troop insertion into Afghanistan. Obviously, we had special forces there prior to that, but uh, really part of that uh, change in direction away from Iraq and towards Afghanistan. It was the largest sea level born insertion of Marines since Vietnam, and we got in there in the Helen River Valley and, and, and tried to make some things happen. Yeah, I think that uh, I was looking at that, and you were there um, when uh, when I was up in RC East, and I think that uh, probably couldn't have found any more uh, kinetic um, uh, regions going on uh, 2009-2010 than either down where you guys were at uh, in the southwest and then, and then up in RC East in the mountains. Uh, two totally different wars sometimes, though, right? Yeah, man. I mean, it was, you know, from everything our leadership was telling us, it was the most kinetic, you know, operation that had ever taken place in Afghanistan as far as, you know, just the overall level of kind of expansive, you know, war activity and violence. And, um, you know, it was, I mean, it was an important time in the conflict. I mean, 2009 was Obama's first year in office. You know, like I said, I think it was a, you know, a major shift in focus away from Iraq and towards Afghanistan. And we, you know, um, they dropped leaflets from what I understand, just kind of letting the civilian population know, Hey, we were coming and we meant business. And, you know, we, we had two chopper waves come into the Hellman river Valley and, you know, within 30 minutes to an hour of that second wave hitting the deck, we were, you know, kicked off a nine hour firefight on our first day. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely really, it was ripping and rolling. There's no question about it. So, uh, when you enlisted in the Navy, was that always the intent as you, you wanted uh, to be a corpsman for the Marines or how did that come about? No, I actually wanted to be SWIC. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with SWIC, but it's, um, it's special warfare combatant crewman. It's a, it's a, a, uh, I guess you would say a type of special forces within the Navy. So the Navy has EOD, they have SWIC, they have divers, and then they have obviously Navy SEALs. Um, it's, you know, a special warfare combatant crewman is kind of like the, you know, smaller fast boats with, you know, heavy caliber weapons. They do a lot of insertion and exertion of seals into like, you know, high value target missions and stuff like that. They're really kind of like a cool security transport for the Navy SEALs, I would imagine. I never actually got to do that job because I was colorblind. So when I went right. to contract SWIFT, um, they said, yeah, you're colorblind. You're not going to be SWIFT. And I was like, well, great what can I do? And they, they gave me three options. Uh, one was like a postal clerk and then the other was like supply and logistics. And they said, or you could be a greenside corpsman. And I was like, all right, well, shoot, I'll take that one. So, um, you know, I had to choose right there in MEPS. I was, you know, or whatever it is, the military enlisted probably, yeah. I guess it is MEPS. Yeah. So I was sitting in MEPS and I found out I was colorblind through the like medical processing part of MEPS. And, I went from wanting to go in as a SWIC to going in as, you know, a corpsman. So it, it was, I just knew I needed to join the military. I wasn't really all that focused on, um, you know, what I was going to do. I thought that the broader decision to join the armed services was was, was most important for me. So I just uh, adapted and, and chose what I thought was the coolest of the three options and kept it moving. I'm, I'm glad they gave you some better options than I had, Doc, because uh, when I joined back in 92, they, they found the same thing, actually. And they said, uh, um, you know, you're colorblind. I said, heck, all I wear is black anyway, so I never noticed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but then, 
but I didn't have the luck that you did or, or the, uh, the, the options that you did. They said, well, you could, uh, you could be uh, mortuary affairs uh, or I could be like that, uh, you're talking about like laundry and bath or something. Uh, then they said, well, uh, or we'll give you some money to go be a truck driver. And I said, oh, I'll change my job anytime. I'll take that one. And, and 22 years later, that's still what I was. But it uh, looks like you cool. got a better end of the stick. I don't know, man. It, it all depends. Like, I, I talk to people all the time about their military service, and I was like, you know, really, you know, we're too hard on each other sometimes about, like, what MOS you had or, like, what conflict you were involved in. It's like everybody's trying to um, – you know, measure themselves against other people, you know, and they say that uh, comparison is the biggest killer of joy anyway. And, and I found a lot of truth to that in my life. Like, you know, I ended up in one of the most violent operations in Afghanistan, but it's not something that I set out to do. It's not something that I had a whole lot of control over. I mean, I did choose to be a greenside corpsman. I wanted to be FMF. I wanted to be with grunts. I knew that that came with danger. And you know, I answered the bell, but like, there's, there was no way for me to know that I was going to end up in two eight, right before a major offensive, right after a major, major political change of the guard and the shift of focus and blah 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 blah. We could just say a million different things. Like, really, you know, I did the same thing that anyone else does: is just show up and try to do my job to the best of my ability. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, my job called me to Southern Afghanistan, and you know, we tried to, you know, we tried to really contribute at a really high level uh, while we were there and certainly feel like we did that. You know, I, I like that idea. You said, you know, being a uh, comparison, uh, being the biggest killer of joy. I think that uh, we do that a lot. In some instances, we compare ourselves as far as, uh, like you said, you know, whether core, or, uh, you know, service to service, but, but we also compare ourselves uh, sort of negatively to those. Like we don't like to be called heroes, right? We don't like to be, uh, seen as, as having done heroic stuff, right? Well, it's just like, I don't know. I think that comes from like being, I think we're all kind of self-conscious to some degree because we all know, we all know someone that's bigger and badder than us. Like exactly. I know so many people that are like way more bad. Uh, is this a, this a podcast, right? I, yep. If I let an ASS slip or something, we're no, all go ahead. Right? It's a, my, my, my guys put yeah. uh, an E on top of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so, like, you know, I mean, there's always someone that's more badass than you. Like, I serve with guys that, um, you know, did four, five, six pumps. I served with – I was uh, stationed with DevGrew for three months. I was just TAD. You know, I was temporary assigned duty down there as a medical attachment. But I was there. You know, I was there with the LeBron Jameses and Kobe Bryant, the special forces. I mean, these are the best special yeah, exactly. force operators in the whole world, and I'm sitting there giving them – immunizations and shots and doing blood draws on those guys and giving them IVs and, you know, running their medical records. I mean, I've seen the military at the absolute highest level and I've seen it at the, um, you know, battalion level, which is really to me where things happen, where things get done, because as cool as those, as cool and sexy as those special forces guys are, they're not going out there fighting a hundred on a hundred, you know, company level ops. Like they're going out there doing some slick, sexy shit and, you know, they, they have their role and they're like unbelievably kick ass and they're the best of the best, but like they're also not out there pumping on a Mark 19 against, you know, 150 Taliban most of the time. Now I'm sure that that happens, but it, it's not the norm. Yeah, for it's what not they, the common. They, and, and right, I think, that's not how they operate. So like they don't deal with the same stuff that we deal with. We don't deal with the same stuff that they deal with. So it's just like, 
you know, there's there, everyone has their role, everyone has their place. Like that was one of my least favorite things about my military service is that the judgment factor. Like, you know, I even caught myself doing it. Like you're walking around base, looking at people's ribbons and seeing yep. where they've been, what they've done, and like you sum people up or or you know label people and you know the blink of an eye. And I and that was one of the parts of the military that you know in a time of conflict that I thought was a little you know. Not, I would say suspect or alarming or something that I wasn't real fond of, but also at the same time, you know, you fall victim to that culture. Like, I think that we're all, you know, when we get out and we're veterans, it's like we see the bigger picture. We see, like, hey, we're all part of this bigger team. We're all part of this bigger collective and unit, and we're part of this, um, you know, family that was willing to sign a piece of paper to, you know, lay their life on the line for their fellow Americans so that they didn't have to, you know, endure the things that we were willing to endure so that they could be free. And when we get out, I think we see that better than we see it when we're in. Because when we're in, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And I think the, the the vets that get out and may have had some difficulty or may have had a medevac or may have, you know, had some things that maybe they're not as proud of as they, they should be or they want to be, they get real insecure. And then they marginalize their military service. They marginalize the fact that they put their life on the line for their brothers and sisters, and they start to be judgmental on themselves. And I think that that leads to a lot of mental health issues on the back end too, because people just get insecure about their service because they're constantly comparing it to somebody else's. Yeah, that's great that you picked up on that, uh, Doc, because I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were talking about that judgmentalness, uh, when you're looking at uh, you're sizing people's up by the, the patch on their arm or the – the, the, the rank or the ribbon or something like that. Um, and then that judgmentalness can be turned in on yourself when you're no longer wearing those ranks or ribbons and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all the way you feel about yourself. It's all about how you feel about what you did. And, you know, if you're letting somebody else take your joy away and you're letting something else define the most important career move you've ever made in your life and you can't find your own, you know, sense of pride from it, then, you know, that's, that's detrimental to your mental health. And that's something that we need to work on as a community because, you know, it was the, it was probably the single thing that was, um, you know, most problematic for me because, you know, I was medevac from Afghanistan. I, I had bilateral atypical pneumonia. I had Q fever. I had 106 degree rectal temp. I was in ICU for seven days. I fought my ass off over there for, you know, the, the whole first half of our deployment, and I, I got sent home. I got sent back to Germany. I was in Bastion and Bodrum, um, you know, their hospitals there on Bastion and Bodrum and ICU on, you know, ox, full-blown oxygen, intubated, you know, on knocking on death's door, and then ultimately, you know, got sent back to Lonshaw in Germany and then, you know, back stateside to Portsmouth Naval Hospital. And I let that medevac, you know, be an asterisk on my military career. I let that define who I was as a warfighter for way too long, just because, you know, of the way Marines can be about, you know, hey, you didn't get shot or blown up. Doc, you got sick. It's like, well, you know, Doc, Doc almost died. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. like almost gave his life, like his last breath, freaking working a, you know, 21 hour day in 125 degree heat and, you know, gave every step in that boot that he possibly could and fought to his last second until it almost killed him. But, you know, the fact that I didn't get shot or blown up, it jacked me up right. to get medev out of there. And it bothered me for years because uh, I felt like I couldn't, 
be proud of what I've done when I had every right and every reason to be unbelievably proud of, of my military career and my accomplishments. And, you know, I know way too many stories like that. I know way too many people like that that have something like that that's keeping them from being healthy. And, you know, it kept me quiet for so long. And that was just kind of the, the whole point of combat medicine was just saying, you know, I'm going to take ownership of my story and, and who I am. I know who I am. I know what I did. And I know, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. I'm going to own my story and I'm going to be proud of my story and I'm going to tell my story. And hopefully it'll help other people that might be going through something similar. You know, that's uh, that's another really great observation there, Doc. I, I When the veterans I talk to, we talk about that. And I, I say they focus on the snapshot of how it ended, right? You know, they got this picture of how it ended and they allow that snapshot to be the defining moment instead of looking at it as a whole film, right? You know, is, is the whole, you know, uh, option or the whole uh, uh, view of, of what was going on over there. Um, you know, you, you had half the deployment, uh, but that one instance of medevac that getting picked up out of it, that defined, that was, that went, that carried more weight than all the other stuff that you did. And then we let that be the period, right? We let that be the end instead of going on to the next scene and 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 only making it a part of our life yeah it was it was tough man i mean i you know me saying anything other than the fact that it was the hardest single hardest emotional mental thing i've ever dealt with in my life period end of end end of discussion like there's nothing in my life that was more difficult to deal with than that medevac and the way it made me feel as it pertained to comparing myself to the other guys in my unit or wondering what they thought about, you know, my deployment and my service and did I still belong? Do I, do they still call me brother? Do they, this and that. And, you know, ultimately it was just a whole lot of, you know, we're our, we're our own worst critic, you know, ultimately it was mostly in my my head. I mean, 99.99% of it was in my head. I mean, and it's just like with anything, you know, we've got this book coming out. We've got an album that just came out, a nationally acclaimed album. You know, there's there's going to be one or two people that hate on it, right? Like there was maybe one or two people in a battalion of 1,200 people that had something to say about me getting pneumonia. But the truth of the matter is, is that 1,198 of them knew I was a beast and knew I was a hell of a doc and respected what I did over there and wished me the best and hoped that I healed well and that I survived which I you know thankfully I did because I was really close to dying and um you know it but I let you know it's just what happens when you let you know the thoughts of other people define your happiness you know or define the way that you feel about yourself you just you know can't you can't live that way and um you know that was that was you know for me that's what I struggle with and you know I've you know, I picked dead bodies up off the street and, you know, I had my roommate get killed in the first day. And, you know, we've had 14 guys in our battalion get killed. Three guys have committed suicide in my platoon since being home. I mean, I've seen, I've seen what, you know, OES and OIF has to offer. You know, I've been through it, you know, and of all the shit that I've seen and all the firefights I've been in and the friends that have been hurt or killed or whatever, the, the hardest thing for me to deal with was, the fact that, you know, I got medevac for pneumonia instead of getting shot. And, you know, that's just so stupid when you really look at it. Um, when you take a step back and you really look at it, but the human heart, the human soul, the human mind, it's a fragile thing, especially when you're, you know, dealing with death and you're dealing with violence. I mean, yeah, I just, if I can help people to, you know, take some pride in their story and take some pride in, you know, their willingness to lay down their life for their country and to be there for their brothers and to, 
you know, understand that they have a responsibility to move forward and that they have a responsibility to, you know, not fail the rest of the way, um, then, you know, that, to me, that's the life well lived, you know, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, and that and, and about that message, Doc. I mean, you're you're still uh, you're still tending to the troops, right? You know, the the mission has carried on. You know, you're not giving them uh, you know moleskin and and tell them to change their socks. Well, you are kind of in a different <laughs> way, right? Just some water. Yeah, take some ibuprofen, Devil Dog. Come on, man. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's, yeah. I know docs, that's how they, I've, I've got a, a doc that takes care of me. That's what she, she often tells me to make sure I change my socks and, and, and take yeah. ibuprofen and drink water. But that's yeah, what you're still doc, doing. My thumb. I cut my thumb, doc, but now you still need to change your socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, no, it's the same mission, right? I mean, it's the same mission. It's just a different platform. I think, you know, I have the potential and the capacity to save a lot more lives doing what I'm doing now than, than I ever did on a battlefield in Afghanistan. And, and, you know, it's just, you know, the mission hadn't changed. You know, I still, I'm still trying to take care of, you know, my Marines, but at the same time, I'm trying to take care of all branches of service now in the sense of, I just want, if I can offer them any kind of hope or any kind of vision for their future, that's all I'm trying to do, but it's not about me. I'm just a conduit for the information because, you know, there's so many people out there in the veteran space that aren't telling the truth. And I think that that hinders our progression because everybody's so caught up on, you know, being hyperbolic and, you know, doing X, Y, and Z and trying to, you know, fulfill some, you know, veteran narrative that's out there that there's not a lot of like veterans out there that are just really, really just getting out there and telling their story and, you know, showing their vulnerability as well as their strengths. And I think that that transparency and that authenticity that, you know, we've exhibited through combat medicine is is resonating with people because you know it's not all everybody's not you know some Marcus Luttrell or Chris Kyle and everybody's you know dealt with different shit they just want to hear the truth you know what I mean and it gives them voice when somebody's telling the truth and not trying to like have some kind of you know ulterior motive or you know something that they're trying to do to accomplish something in their career like this is really about y'all like this is really about the guys and the gals you know it's not about it's not about me. It's just about having this certain little ability that I've been blessed with in music and, and trying to utilize that as a platform to, to tell other people's story. And, and that, you know, you said it took you a couple of years, though, to get the message out there. What was it that finally decided that, that made you decide that you wanted to to get this message? And you say it's not about you, but but to really, in some ways, I guess, help you personally to yeah. be able to get this message out there yeah it was definitely cathartic like there's no question about it like and the funny thing is you know i had a, we had a and i'm not gonna lie to you now like i'm i'm hurting more mentally right now than i have been in in years and and to answer to answer your first question the 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 what what made me go record combat medicine and do that record was I was, I had, you know, turned around my life. I kind of compartmentalized everything that happened over my military career, which really worked for me. And everybody says, don't compartmentalize the crap you went through over there. Get it out, deal with it, blah, blah, blah. And every time I tried to get it out and deal with it, I just got less and less mentally healthy. I was just more and more, it was more and more a problem. Every time I tried to address the issues in my mental health, it's like I got less and less healthy. So I said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to compartmentalize it. I'm going to get up and I'm going to move on with my life. And, 
And I did that, you know, and I went to school on the GI Bill and I was working at Piedmont Hospital and I kind of put that stuff in, tucked it away in the side drawer or whatever you want to say. And I messed around and, you know, graduated second in my class at Georgia State and I was a salutatorian, studied economics and public policy. I went and got a, got a job in wealth management. I got married. I had two kids. I was, you know, an up and coming, you know, person in the financial planning industry. I was, you know, getting the accolades and stuff there and I was really, really doing well. And, you know, three of the guys from Echo Company, from Weapons Platoon, had either died, you know, due to overdose or suicide. It just probably depends on who you talk to. But, um, you know, three guys from the Weapons Platoon that I was in had, you know, committed suicide since we got home. And I had, um, as part of what I did in wealth management, I did, you know, brokerage products and investment products and retirement planning. Uh, but I also did, and, you know, institutional grade fixed income. But I also did insurance as well, and there was a former NFL player I won't say his name, who was a client, who was a wealth management client of mine, and he had fifty thousand dollars of life insurance when I met him. He had four kids and he was married. And I said, buddy, I said you need a lot more life insurance than what you got. And um, I said, you know, we can just put a bunch of term insurance in place. We need to get something in place because you just don't have you don't have anywhere near enough. Just to be candid with you, and we put you know, $1.75 million coverage in place six days before he died. Um, I put that coverage in place on December 23rd. He died on December 29th, 2016. And um, I went up to Philadelphia for the funeral and to pay my respects to his widow and, you know, deliver the check, uh, deliver the death claim check. And um, something about that city, man, something about Philadelphia – something about the grit there and the way that it moves and the way that it breathes and the way that it feels. And it just, you know, I was a hip hop artist my whole life growing up out, you know, not when I was a little kid, but like my teenage years to, you know, my, my lower thirties, what I'm 32 now, I was probably 31 when that happened. And, um, you know, in the midst of compartmentalizing the things that I dealt with in Afghanistan in the midst of, you know, moving on and trying to be a quote unquote, like white collar professional and, take care of my family, I forgot who I was. You know, I forgot that, you know, I'm a gritty ass from South Memphis rapping white boy. Yeah. And, right. you know, something, you know, something of the war fighters. And, you know, something about going to Philadelphia reminded me who I was. That city just, just literally lit me on fire. And, um, you know, if you hear a beep, that's my mom trying to come in on this call, but I'm going to just let it, there's no decline button for some reason, but you might be right. deep. Don't worry about it. We but I was just, if mom comes in, we could talk to her too. It'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, she always moms always call it really bad times, but like <laughs> that's what they do. But like Philadelphia, I mean that trip changed my life. I had always wanted to go there. I'm kind of a fat boy at heart. Like I'm all about some Philly cheesesteaks. Yeah, I'm all about the American history of that city, and just something about that city just reminded me that. You know, I don't have to try to be somebody that I'm not. Like, I don't have to try to, you know, be what the world is telling me I should be. Like, put on a suit and a tie every day and, you know, go do X, Y, and Z. And, and here I am doing the most important thing that I'll ever do in, you know, this financial planning career. And it wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough for me to go drop this check off. It wasn't enough for me to, you know, support this guy's family. Like, I was like, I got family that I'm not taking care of from my last job. You know, I need to try to help them. And, you know, something about something about Philly, man, it just lit me on fire. And I called my brother, um, you know, I was in, I think it's called Rittenhouse Square. And I was walking around Rittenhouse and out, 
you know, I, it was snowing. It was probably the one time it snowed in Philly this winter is what he said. And I, um, I called my brother Logan, who's a professional musician down in Nashville. And I said, man, we're cutting a record. We're going to call it combat medicine. And, um, and he said, hell yeah, let's do it. And, um, you know, I, I left my job a couple months later and, you know, I did all the pre-production for the record and we went down to Nashville and we put it together. And, um, you know, I mean, you've seen what's happened since. I mean, we've been on scene. We got CNN this week. We've had NPR, CBS, you know, the cover of Stars and Stripes. We've, you know, had a lot of great things happen. Um, and it's resonating with a lot of people because, you know, we want to get this number down. We, we want to get suicide these suicide numbers down we want to empower people's lives and you know help them try to you know understand what they've been through i guess and and, and just help i guess i mean just to keep it simple no it's something and it's good that you you touched on that you said you know, by any measure of success uh you were successful by anyone would uh would externally you know like you said white collar and, and you've got the clients and you've got the accolades and stuff like that uh, but that wasn't meaningful or purposeful to you. It, it wasn't satisfying to you. Uh, that's something I hear from a lot of veterans that I work with. I'm sure that you get the same thing is they just don't feel that, like they have the same purpose that they had when they were in the military. Yeah, no, there's a song on the record about that called I Disappear. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges for me coming back from Afghanistan is this idea that you know, feeling like the most important and most relevant days in my life professionally are behind me. And, you know, that's a hell of a, now I was a little bit older, you know, I was 27 ish, 28 ish, I guess, maybe that sounds about right. Maybe 26, but I think I was 27, 28 when I got out. And, um, you know, to be, and there's a lot of guys that are 23 yeah. that are wrestling with that question. Like, Am I ever like they want to get out and they want to go get their education and they want to do something different. They want to move forward in their life. And they're sitting here in their early twenties asking themselves if they're ever going to do anything that has as much value as what they just got done doing. That's a, that's a really terrible question to be asking yourself in your early twenties. If I'm ever going to do anything that's going to measure up to what I've already done. And I mean, that's a real emotion. People go through that emotion. Like, so that's something that we need to articulate. That's something that we need to talk about. Like, you know, especially if your values point you to a place where you say, hey, we put this on, you know, the highest level of respect and esteem to fight for your country. But, yes, you know, the way you look at it, maybe what you do moving forward is not as important to that from a day-in and day-out perspective. But you being a great father, you being a great man, you being a great husband, you being a productive member of society, you're inspiring and leading other people. Those things are as important as fighting the Taliban. Those things are arguably like more important than fighting the Taliban. So, you know, you got to find meaning in what you do moving forward. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your occupation. You know, you just have to reattach meaning and importance in your life and not devalue, you know, these 60 years that you've got out in front of you because you happen to do something, you know, that was just, of the utmost importance early in your adult life, you know? So we don't articulate that enough. We don't talk about that enough. That's something people need to talk about. They need to talk about it with each other. They need to talk about it with their wife and with their family. And, you know, hey, this is what I'm feeling. That's a normal feeling. I felt that feeling. Like, am I ever going to do anything that measures up to fighting in southern Afghanistan in 2009? In some ways, no. But that's okay. Yeah. In, in right. other ways, 
in other ways, yeah, absolutely, I will. You know. And and that's something that uh, again, I think just a, a lot of veterans struggle with, even even older veterans, you know, and they're looking at, well, I didn't get a chance just because of. Uh, I talked a lot of Cold War veterans say they joined the Marines and uh, then peace broke out, right, in the mid-90s, you know. Um, and, and then they did their little bit, and, and then, you know, they look back. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about comparison, uh, comparison being uh, the killer of joy um, between generations. You know, I heard a story one well, time. What are those guys supposed to do? Like, I've heard that so many times too, man. Like, yeah. while I was in during peacetime, and they like, they cower when they talk to me about military stuff because they didn't fight in a war. And it's like, bro, like, I mean, how the hell are you supposed to control what years you were in? Like, exactly. And I understand that they're trying to be reverent and they're trying to show respect, but they have to also realize, um, you know, the, the, the negative self image that they're portraying when they do that. And that they're, that they're demeaning their, their own service by doing that. And, and, um, it's not that they went through the same thing that I did or did the same thing that I did, but they sure as hell didn't do anything wrong by happening to be in the military when there wasn't a conflict. I mean, you know, that's just, I've seen more people, you know, feel a type of way about that than, than I would care to count. And I just think it's, you know, it's unnecessary. It's unfortunate, but it comes from the military culture. I mean, I know it permeates the Marine Corps. I don't know about the other branches, but like the Marine Corps is all about like Pogue versus not Pogue, combat action ver- ribbon versus not combat action ribbon, how many pumps versus how many pumps. Like it's a constant, like you know, you know what measuring contest with those yeah. guys, and and it just it's counterproductive to people's mental health. And I get it when you're in the mix and when you're in the fight and when you're on active duty, but shit, when we come home and they people got to drop that's that's just ridiculous. Some of that stuff is just ridiculous, and um. You know, it's just the culture of the Marine Corps. And I and I guess it's just the culture of a lot of different, you know, branches of services and MOSs. But, you know, people don't know. Like, I didn't know when I joined the Navy what I was going to do. I wanted to be SWIT because it seemed cool to me. I was a kid. Well, you didn't like, know, I, right? <laughs> you had no clue. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. Like, this boat goes 100 miles an hour. It's got a 50 gal on it. You get to drive seals around. It's like, that sounds pretty damn cool. Let's do that. You know, but I but I probably would have saw way less combat as a special warfare combatant crewman than I would have as a corpsman. I didn't know that. I figured that if I was SWIC, I'd be doing all kind of crazy stuff. But, I mean, when's the last time you heard about some SWIC guy in the news doing <laughs> right. some heroic shit? I'm just being real. Nothing no, you're absolutely SWIC, right. But, I mean, like, when's the last time you heard about that? I, I'm sure it happened, but I hadn't heard about it. You know what I mean? So, it's like my perceptions were so far off of reality anyway. And, um and what really happens out here. So I didn't know I was going to end up with two eight. I didn't know I was going to have my roommate get killed on the first day. I didn't know we were going to lose 14 guys in our battalion. I didn't know we were going to have seven plus guys commit suicide since we came back. I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, I didn't even know if I would end up in the war. I, I joined the Navy. I mean, some people say I was a punk because I joined the Navy instead of the Marine Corps or the, or the, you know, Navy instead of the army. It's like, Oh, if you join the air force, you're a punk. Like, it's just like, you know, people, it's just crazy. I mean, that, that kind of stuff we have to, that kind of stuff almost cost me my life, you know, and I, and I fought in Afghanistan heroically. I dropped rounds in Afghanistan. I went on patrol in Afghanistan. I stood watching Afghanistan. I fired my weapon in Afghanistan. I treated, you know, combat casualties in Afghanistan. I did all that stuff in Afghanistan. And that, that mentality, that mindset almost cost me my life because I was so worried about, 
what other people thought about right. my service. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't really know any other way to put it than that. And, and we all deal with, with it. I hear about it all the time. I still hear about it all the time. Now, the, so, and the, the difference, I think, what, what you're doing, Doc, is you're, you're talking about it. You're getting the message out there. And, and, and if we're, we're not going to waste the opportunity uh, to spread the message that we're, we're trying to send. I, I heard a story one time, a, a colleague of mine said he was on a flight. This was a veteran, and, and he was on a flight, and he had seen a, a young Marine get on the aircraft, and he sat next to uh, a, an older Marine, um, you know, the, a, an older gentleman, obviously in his, uh, you know, his late 50s or 60s, wore the Marine Corps hat, the, the silk satin red jacket. You know, he was all about his, uh, his Marines, right? And for the whole flight, that old Marine, all he did was talk about the three years in his life that he spent in the Marine Corps in the early 80s with that young Marine. And my friend was like, how much more uh, could that, that, that older Marine have, have spoken into that younger Marine if he would have given him the 30-year the history of life after the Marine Corps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like we... I mean, it's almost, there's some, there is some piece of it that, you know, this could be offensive to some people, but that's okay. Um, you know, but there is some piece of it where it's kind of like, you know, that, that idea that exists around like the glory days of like when you played for state high school football championship. <laughs> that's exactly what I was right? And it's like, like, you know, it's like, well, when I was 18, you know, we, I was over at Brickwood and we won a state, you know, and it's like, bro, you're 40, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, you don't need to be talking about winning a state championship. And now that's the Marines and the military. It's way beyond that. But there, but there's a, there's a, there's something in that the fabric of the way that we behave that's eerily similar in that respect. Not that those two things are comparable in their importance, but it's like, no matter what the situation is, glory, pain, failure, you know, important, not important. I mean, you know, you got to live where your feet are sometimes, you know, and Nick Saban says that all the time, you know, that's why they're so successful. He has those players like, be where your feet are. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about being the best that you can be right now, in this moment, in this second in time, and just give it what you have and be where your feet are. And I, I just I think in the military, and one of my good friends, he played for Saban, and that's why I know that he says that all the time. But, like, you know, we don't live where our feet are enough. You know, we look back too much. And, and we look back on our service, not that it's not to be admired or revered, but, like, we have responsibilities today. We have responsibilities, you know, for our families. We have responsibilities for our own physical and mental health. We have responsibilities to our job. And it's one thing to honor something that's very, very important and to look back on it and to reminisce and to use it as an opportunity to grow and to have it even help define and shape the rest of our lives because, I tell people all the time, they, some of the some of the haters that get on us, they're like, oh, well, you know, you're utilizing your military service as a means to be successful. And I said, hell yeah, I am. What, the, what are you talking about? It's like, that'd be like you saying, I went, like, that'd be like going to Harvard and not putting it on your resume. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I graduated from Harvard, but I'm not going to tell anybody. It's like right. that, you know, that's, that's how important, you know, our service is more important than that even. Like, of course you need to utilize it as a catalyst for your future success. But you also need to be focused on what you're doing today and, and, and what you hope to accomplish tomorrow and not be stuck in the past. There's a fine line between honoring the past and, and getting stuck in it. 
No, you're absolutely right. And, and that's uh, a lot of the veterans that I see, they, they do get stuck in the past and they want to go back and, and, and retread those paths uh, that, uh, and redo, you know, and, and hit the reset button. Um, you know, like you were talking about is I, I wish I could have, or, or, you know, if things would have been different, uh, not realizing the gravity of, of, uh, of what happened with you. Oh man, it tore me up, man. I'm hurting now. Cause you know, like, you know, you said this, like you said, this process, it wasn't, you know, I'd love to say it was all altruistic and it was for everybody else. And it was certainly mostly that way, but it was also for me too. Like I needed to get this shit out. Like I needed to tell my story. I needed to, you know, do something creative and artistic and find a way that, you know, I could do something positive and impactful to other people that also helped me heal too. And it's like, you know, now that I've become, you know, a quote unquote role model or someone to look up to as it pertains to their transition or, utilizing their service to do things to help other vets like i haven't been taking care of myself i haven't been taking care of me and i'm getting unhealthy mentally again and like i was talking you know to our good friends last night like my marriage is in trouble right now and like i've I've gotten to where i'm drinking a little bit again and you know because i'm not looking at taking care of myself the way that i need to because i've been so focused on trying to help everybody else that i forgot about taking care of me and um you know and, and I had one of my good friends, Jim Connor, tell me last night, you know, he's like, you know, you're hurting, bro. Like, you, you're really hurting. Like, this this project is taking so much out of you. And I was like, it has, you know. And he's like, you got to practice what you preach. Like, if you need to go get help, you need to go get help. And, um, you know, I, I might need to go get some damn help right now, you know. And so just because I gave, I gave a lot emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to get this book done and to get this album done and get it out to our guys and try to help them to heal that it almost was, it almost like cut me in the process of doing that, you know? So, um, but some of it, I think is the fact that I, I opened up a lot of the boxes that had been put away and, uh, I was really good about taking that stuff and putting it away somewhere and just not dealing with it. You, you know, know and now that's a- I don't have, that's a big challenge uh, when when you start to open up these things, and I you know I talk about guys about opening up a duffel bag that you left locked in the back of the 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 wall locker or something. You know, you think you know what's inside that duffel bag until you actually open it up, and it can be challenging uh, to kind of address those things uh, sort of on your own. And and just the the honesty right there that you have of of saying you know what yeah th- things aren't aren't all you know, is rosy and, and maybe the way it seems. Uh, I think that's another thing that a lot of veterans get caught up in is trying to help other veterans and pouring so much into other veterans that they're really hurting themselves sometimes. Yeah, and everybody also thinks we're making money too. Like everybody <laughs> assumes that because I'm on CNN or NPR that we have a, an album that's getting national attention that I'm making money. Like I'm not making any money. Like I hadn't made any money. And, um, you know, Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can make some money one day because, you know, what do we all want in, in life or, or most people anyway? I mean, the, you know, we all want to do something that is meaningful. We all want to do something that's impactful. We all want to make a difference in this world and we want to try to align our occupation or our vocation with our passion. And we'd like to make a little money in the process of doing that. I'm no different than anybody else. That's exactly what I want to do. You know, I want to do music. I want to do literature because it's, you know, some of the things that, you know, God has gifted me to have some ability in. And I want to utilize those platforms to help other people. And, oh, by the way, I, it'd be really nice if I could figure out how to make a little bit of money doing it. 
And, you know, it's just, unfortunately for us in the music business, I mean, people just don't buy music anymore, you know, and I'm not going to run around and ask for handouts or raise money or start a nonprofit when that's not what my lane is. My lane is not, I'm not trying to start another veteran nonprofit. We have plenty of those, you know, I'm trying to refer people to the right resources. I'm trying to be a catalyst for change in their life. I'm trying to let them know that they're not alone. I'm trying to, you know, use, you know, my, my, um, you know, musical leans and my leans in, in writing to, you know, help inspire that change in other people. And it'd be really, really nice if we could figure out how to make a living doing it. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of assumptions going around in a lot of different platforms and a lot of different places that just aren't true. And it all starts with, it all starts with a lack of transparency. Like people just aren't telling the truth, you know, and it's just like in hip hop, like I, I'm in hip hop, right. You know, there's, all these rappers, they say they have money. They ain't got no money. They're sleeping on somebody's couch. Trust me, nobody's buying music. Nobody's buying music. You know, we've, str- we've streamed our content hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times. we got four national news stories. I've sold 112 albums. People just don't buy music anymore. You know, so, I mean, any, any, any step in life, anything is going gonna, is, is gonna to have difficulty, anything of value, and and, you know, standing back up and, and making something meaningful out of your life and trying to step into your passions and, you know, create a vocation where you can serve and take care of your family at the same time, that's that's the fight that we're all fighting. That's part of being human. It doesn't have to be a veteran. That's human. So, you know, that's all I'm trying to do. And I know that there's a lot of other people out there trying to do the same thing today. So, um, you know. We just what, want to try to help people do it. One thing that you, you said in there, Doc, was, uh, you know, everybody's trying to build the houses, right? Everybody's trying to build the bases and build the fobs. Um, but there's uh, there's not enough scouts out there pointing the way back to the fob. And because a lot of our brothers and sisters just wandering around in the wilderness, and there's these nonprofits. And, and I'm like you, and I, I, I actually, I started a nonprofit and avoided it for six months. And the only reason I did was because I had grant funding that was offered to me that I couldn't use without a nonprofit because we need another nonprofit like we need, need another cloud in the sky. Um, but there's not yeah. enough people like you that are out there talking about the real deal with veteran mental health and pointing back to the resources. If the VA, to me, right, to me, and I know that they do, and I'm just like kind of just being candid right now, like, if the powers and the institutions that did give a shit about getting this suicide number down, then they can just put me on salary. Because I promise I can help them do it. <laughs> I can help them do it. I, I can help them do it through music. I can help them do it through art. I can help them do it through public speaking. I can help them do it through transition workshops. I can help them do it through film. I mean, the team that we have is unbelievable, you know. And but I'm not going to run around and ask people for money. Right. You know, somebody, somebody if they want to see us survive, I told I told Got Your Six, and I, I've had a minute. I've had meeting with the Center on Veteran Affairs Committee. I had meeting with Got Your Six and American Legion, and they've all been really awesome and receptive and helpful. But like, you know, I've also said if you want me to survive, like if you really think I matter, like by talking to me, then somebody needs to give me some money because I I can't I can't continue to do what I'm doing at the expense of feeding my daughters and taking care of my wife. You know, and, and, and I took a, you know, I quit my job to do this and I took, you know, I took a bunch of time off work and I was making good money and 
I accepted a position today. I start working full time again in the, in the financial sector on September 6th. You know, I'm not going to tell you the company, but I had a meeting with a record label yesterday. I had a meeting with a label yesterday, and I've got a meeting with an ad agency tomorrow, and I've met with the powers that be in and around the veteran community. And everybody has a ton of support, but but when it comes time to pull a checkbook out, people start acting different, and they don't really they don't think you're important enough to pay you. And people don't think my music is important enough to pay for it. And, you know, it's just that that's the look. I'm not I'm not challenging people as human beings. Like, that's fine. I get it. I don't really pay for music either. So, you know, I, what can I say? I said I will move forward because I see what it's done to my life to have something popular out there that's making a difference. But it's impossible to monetize. And, um, you know, somebody if they want us to do our work and somebody needs to write us a check. And, um, and that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know, and that's, uh, yeah. that's when, uh, the, the guys, the, the change your POV podcast network, uh, you know, Eddie Lazary and Bennett Tanton, uh, that they brought all of us on, uh, as, as hosts of shows. Um, but it's, it's much the same thing is that, you know, there are people that, that want to be able to speak the truth. Um, and they also have to pay the bills. I mean, that's, that's the honest truth. And we're all doing this. Um, you know, sort of on our own and, and out of the kindness of her heart. But I'm right there with you. I had a colleague uh, one time who said he's got this great program, documentary film uh, called Acronym, uh, Acronym, the Cross-Generational uh, Battle with PTSD. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But And I'll link to all your stuff in the show notes too. But he said that, that he would sit there and he would show the trailer and, and people would look at him with tears in their eyes and they'd clap and then they'd stand and they'd call him a week later and he'd get crickets. And, and I knew exactly what he talking about because I was doing the same thing um, with, uh, with the writing that I'm doing and, and even the program that I have that I would tell people about it. And, and it sounds like you're experiencing the same thing um, that, that everybody says, yeah, yeah, we got you. We got you up until the point where you look around and the support's not there. Yeah, up until it's time to write a check. I mean, we have look. We haven't been proactively asking for money. We thought we'd be able to do it without having to do that, you know. And and um, you know that's caused me a lot of stress. My, my wife's in the other room. She's like, "You need to shut up. Just you know, zip it up, phone it in." Blah 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 blah. Like I was like, I don't even care anymore. Like because because now it's like survival or not survival. Like now right. it's like you know, it's it's like the mission continues or the mission doesn't. Like what I was telling all these people is true. Like we we have an unsustainable model right here. Like it's not sustainable, but I know that we're having impact. We're having massive impact. I know that we're spending a ton of money on stuff that's not having a massive impact. So is there a way to allocate, allocate like some, you know, really small resources to little old me so that we can continue to do this with our entire heart, soul and mind and get out here and make a difference and touch these people. It's like, you know, we can't get a call back from the USO about going on a USO tour because our music's not like, super conservative i guess i don't know it's like who who better to be on a uso tour right now than me and you put like lee greenwood out there like i mean come on like how how the hell am i not on a uso tour right now and well, it's not I, it's I, not even it, it's not even like it's not even like um give me money it's like just let me work right no it's it's a let you let you earn with and I, I think I told you earlier I, i'm a rock and roll guy which you, you might you might tell by by the uh yeah, the intro yeah. music but uh, but I did pick up your album today. I, I think I told you I was listening to it as I was prepping for this, and so maybe you yeah, yeah. check your numbers, yeah, I, right? I read, you might have clicked yeah, up yeah, one read, more today. 
but uh yeah, I did. No, I did. I appreciate it. One thirteen or one one twenty two. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Like, you know, and 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 I mean I'm just a little frustrated right now too, but also sure. I just want to be I just want to be honest about what's going on because, you know, we're just it's not even like we're looking for handout, we're just like looking for work. Right. You know, so um you know, it's it's uh it's been an interesting experience. We're not gonna give up, you know, even if it's something that I have to do part time. You know, that's what I'll do. Um, but, you know, combat medicine, just to kind of like, we, you know, when you get a couple of veterans on the phone, they just get to talking. And sometimes it goes, like you said, in your email, it's probably going to end up going somewhere that's not on track. And that's OK. And that is what happened. And, and it's this when things are, you know, I'm going to just try to be real and authentic, you know, but um, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing. We're not going to stop doing music. I've got. You know, my idea for my next album is called Strange Pictures. Um, you know, it's we want to take in veteran art from different platforms, modern art, contemporary art, uh, performing art. Uh, we want to take in, you know, photography pictures. And I want to do an album called Strange Pictures where we interpret this veteran art musically. So we would take in, you know, these different pieces of veteran art across a lot of different platforms. And I get together with my composition team and my music team and we you know, we look, we 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 choose these pieces of veteran art, and then we translate them musically. We interpret them musically, and make the you know the veteran art community make it more inclusive. Because I was looking, you know, inward to say, hey, what is a, you know, how am I going to follow? How am I going to follow up combat medicine? You know, that was my heart on military related stuff and veteran stuff. How do I possibly follow that up? and stay relevant to the people that I want to serve. And I was like, I don't need to be looking inward. I need to be looking outwards. And I love you guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. So there you have it, folks. Thanks for checking out that conversation between me and Doc Todd. Uh, I think this was a, a message that, that really needs to get out there. And as he mentioned in the uh, prologue, one of the first tracks on the uh, Combat Medicine uh, album, you know, he says that uh, victory is won through many counselors. And that's a, that's a quote from Proverbs 11.14 if you're looking for that. But, but uh, if we're always looking for the, the same counselors, if we're always listening to the same message, then we're not getting the information that we need. And uh, Doc Todd is really getting it out there uh, in a different way, uh, in a very important way. And we're talking about reality here. You know, if you want to connect with Doc Todd, you can find Combat Medicine, the album, um, on, uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on just about every other um, audio platform that you find music on. You can connect with Doc Todd across uh, all social media platforms. He's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, all of them are at therealdoctod.com. Uh, and you can find out more information on his website at therealdoctod.com as well. So uh, remember, folks, uh, we're only as effective uh, as, as our headspace and timing. Uh, veterans uh, can be effective in their post-military lives, and that's a huge mess in that, that message that Doc Todd is bringing out to us. So uh, please make sure uh, to make sure your headspace and timing is set correctly. You know, I'm the only veteran that can make sure that I'm alive tomorrow morning. And you're the only veteran that can make sure that you're alive tomorrow morning. Each of us has, 
responsibility for ourselves. So uh, take hold of that, take care of that responsibility, and uh, continue mission. We'll talk to you next week. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.